church. And uh, of course, you know, I know most of you have been here, but if you would indulge me tonight, I'd like if you would take your psalm book and turn to Psalm 18. You can stay seated where you are, Psalm 18. And we know the song, but uh, I want you to sing it with me. I'd love to hear you sing it. The uh, verse we'll look at there is verse number three, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And then verse 46, the Lord liveth. Aren't you glad that the Lord liveth? Amen. And blessed be my rock, let the God of my salvation be exalted. On verse, verse 3, let's start off right there. Can you sing with me? I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. I will call upon the Lord. Verse 46. The Lord liveth, and blessed be my rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. The Lord liveth, and blessed be my rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. Boy, I'd say that's a biblical song, wouldn't you? And what a good song. Let's try it one more time. Verse 3. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. I will call upon the Lord. Sing it now. The Lord liveth and blessed be my and let the God of my salvation be exalted. The Lord liveth, and blessed be my rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. Mm, mm, boy, that does something for the heart. And then if you do this, page 344. And if you'd stand with me, I'd like to sing this song. And then after that, I think we've got a couple of specials. Let's sing Satisfied. How many of you found more satisfaction in Jesus than you found in the world? How many of you think that when we get to heaven, we'll be more satisfied than we are now? Right. So let's just sing about him this evening. Verse number one. Are you ready? All my life long I have
sing. Thank you. Me be seated. Fellas, if y'all give us a couple of those specials, whichever one, Bryce or Robbie. God's amazing grace sent down from heaven rescued me from death and from shame And brought salvation, and now I'm his. Praise his holy name. Now I know that he is mine, and I'm his forever. He is leading me along life's way, and he'll be holding to my hand when I cross this river he will take the sting of death away tis so sweet just to know I have Jesus with me he will keep me from sin and from strife he delivered me from condemnation and now I have eternal life and now I know that he is mine and I'm his forever he is leading me along life's way and he'll be holding to my hand when I cross this river he will take the sting of death away. Amen. my friend for so long you were right when I was wrong I can't repay all the love you've given me you were my friend when no one cared I was alone 
But you were there, Lord, you're the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I owe it all to you, Lord. All I have is yours, Lord. Take my life. Make me what you'd have me be. For I'm your child and you're my father. I'm the clay and you're the potter. Lord, you're the best thing that's ever happened to me. Borrow treasured, borrows dreams, all life's joy you've given me when trouble comes. You're always there to make me smile. So come what may, thy will be done. I love you, Jesus, God's only Son. Lord, you're the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I owe it all to you, Lord. All I have is yours, Lord. Take my life. Make me what you'd have me be. For I'm your child and you're my father. I'm the clay and you're the potter. Lord, you're the best thing that's ever happened to me. For I'm your child and you're my father. I'm the clay and you're the potter. Lord, you're the best thing that's ever happened to me. Thank you, Brother Bryce. All right, if you have your Bible, would you turn to Philippians chapter 1? And we'll go to just a couple of places tonight. Philippians chapter 1. I want to say again, it is so good to be back and to be able to see you in person. And uh, I know that I would love to be able to speak to everyone. May not be able to do that tonight. But it is good to be in God's house with God's people. This is my crowd. All the crowd that revels in New Year's Eve and the crowd that thinks money is the answer to everything in life and the crowd that thinks living a licentious lifestyle is really the best way to live, I don't think they have a clue what they're talking about. I think the crowd you want to be around is a crowd that loves Jesus and loves the Bible and knows where they're headed for eternity. Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 6, the Bible says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to look at that verse a little closely with me. Being confident, that is a present position. That is not a position of hope necessarily in the future or resting in the past. I was confident. That is a statement that says being confident, a present position. And then confidence is that of full assurance, being fully assured and trusting. And this verse is a verse that, uh, thank you, young man. Younger than you. We need to get our glasses fixed on, Scott. 
This is a verse God gave me when I was uh, finished living a fool's life in the world. And I was trying, I was asking questions like, how, how will I ever be able to overcome the past? And how will I ever become what God wants me to be? How will I be able to do that? And I remember reading one day and I saw the verse there and it says, being confident of this very thing. So I understood I don't need to take and put the confidence that I have in myself. But what I need to do is I need to put it in somebody else that knows exactly what to do to get the job done. And if you'll let me tonight, what I want to do, I'm going to offer you this verse and I want to raise your level of confidence. I don't want your confidence to be something in the past or your confidence to be in me. If your confidence is in me, you have your confidence in the wrong place. If your confidence is in each other, I think you have your confidence in the wrong place. But if your confidence is in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've got your confidence sitting exactly where it should be. That's why the Bible says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work. That's the first thing I want you to note tonight for just a moment. We ought to have confidence in the Lord's ability. You know, wouldn't you agree with me? He's the one that started the work, and he's the one that knows how to get the job done. You think about your salvation. None of us in here started our salvation. Our salvation was given to us by grace through faith, and none of us are keeping our salvation. That's a job he's doing very well for us. The church is another example of that, the preservation of his word. Listen, I I know that God used men to give us the Bible that we have, but the Bible that we have is not the work of men. It's the work of God. And men aren't the one that will keep this book. God is the one that is keeping his word. Amen. Such is true of the church. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Listen, I know the church goes through all kinds of difficulty, but the bottom line is the church is a creation of Jesus Christ and the church is going to be sustained by Jesus Christ. And one day the church is going to leave this world and go to be with Jesus Christ forever. So our confidence does not need to be in our own ability. It needs to be in him. And I want, again, I want to raise your confidence level for a moment. Your confidence should be in the ability and power of Jesus Christ. He is the master builder. He is the potter that knows how to take and remake the clay. He is the alpha, the omega. He is the creator and sustainer of everything that is. And you can put your trust and confidence in a lot of people and you'll fail there. You'll find failure. You will never find failure when you put your confidence in the ability of Jesus Christ. Second point of confidence. I want you to have confidence in his consistency. Look at it. Being confident in this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. You know, that sounds like to me he's going to finish the job. I know if I were to ask for raising him hands, how many of you have ever started uh, a project or started a job or started something you wanted to get done and just ran out of ability, ran out of resources, ran out of patience, and you never got it done and had to apologize? Or maybe there's something sitting at home right now Still waiting on you after all these years. You know that's not our Savior. What Jesus Christ starts, he always finishes. What Jesus Christ began, he's going to finish. You know why? Because faithful is he that promised. We have a faithful God. He said, I change not at the end of the Old Testament in Malachi. He said he was the same yesterday, today, 
and forever. He was able to feed two million people in the wilderness without Walmart or Publix or Ingalls. How about that? And they were satisfied. That's because he is consistent. The work he began is the work he will perform. So you need to put your confidence in the Lord's ability. And you need to put your confidence in the Lord's consistency. But the last thing I'd like you to notice in verse number 6 is this. That he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You need to put your confidence that he has promised a better day. You know, I'm glad, I'm glad when I read the Bible that there is a better day. This day of Christ is a direct reference to the rapture. And we love to sing the song here, What a Day That Will Be. Last year, my dad went to heaven And I've thought many times upon him, and I've looked at his picture in my study, and I know he's nowhere around, and I can't tell you the number of times that I wish that I could have picked up the phone and called him and talked to him. And then I'm reminded, you know, you may not be able to do that right now, but one day there's a trumpet that's going to sound, and the dead in Christ are going to rise, and we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up with them in the air. Listen, and we're going to see people that have gone on before us because there's a better day coming. You know, Joseph, when he was in the pit, I doubt he thought there was a better day coming. When he was in prison, I doubt he thought there was a better day coming. I I doubt very seriously that when he was in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife was pursuing him every single day, wearying his soul, I doubt he thought a better day was coming. But you know what? There was a better day coming, and Joseph ended up being risen to the second in all the kingdom. You know who did that? Our God did that. A better day coming. Naomi, I'm sure that Naomi thought that there would never be a better day to come after bearing two sons and a husband. And yet she got to hold a little baby that came into this world from Boaz and Ruth. And you know, the God that gave her a better day is the God that can always give us a better day. And I would just remind you, God, are you listening? God has the ability to take the worst day and to make it into the best day. You and I don't have that ability. God can take a dark day and turn it into a day of light. And he did that on the day that they crucified him and they put him in that tomb. And three days later, though they said, I read it today, they sealed that tomb and they set a watch to make it as sure as they could. But you know what? No no group of soldiers and there's no concrete. There's nothing you could do to keep him in. He came out on the third day. And what was a horrible day for those people was a good day for him. So I want you to put your confidence in the Lord's ability and put your confidence in his consistency and put your confidence in a promise of a better day. Now, I want you to turn, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 5. I haven't preached in a while. I think I'll preach a couple of messages tonight. I'm a little bit rusty. First Peter chapter 5 and verse number 1 is written to elders. And an elder is one that has been ordained and proven by the church. That can be a ruling elder like a bishop, a pastor. It can be a deacon that is there to help conduct the church business. It could be an evangelist or a missionary. But these elders, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, they are given responsibilities in verses 2 and 3. They're told, this is your responsibility. Feed the flock of God. Be an example to the flock. And then they're told in verses 5 and 6 the attitude that they ought to have. Submit yourself 
to be clothed with humility, to resist pride. And then they're told in verse number seven what to do with their burden that they can take and cast all your care upon him for he careth for you. Boy, aren't you glad there's a God in heaven that can carry your burden when you don't have the power to carry it. And then he addresses their adversary. Do you see him in verse number eight? Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. I want to speak to that for just a moment. I know that my family is no different than your family, but I want to say that the last year plus, our adversary, the devil, has done his best to destroy our children and my marriage and my home. And I don't think he's finished. I think that he has a design that, thankfully, I know someone that's got a lot more power than he does that has a better design. Part of that was my youngest daughter's harassment that she received for about a year that caused great complication for her. And because of that, she along with my wife are in Chicago tonight and have been for the last five weeks. We've traveled every weekend to see her and visit with her for just two hours on Saturday two hours on Sunday. We got to spend Christmas with her. And what she faced as a little girl, I'm so proud of her because she faced it bravely. And she's working to try to be able to push past those things. And I think that there is much work left to be done there, but I'm glad to be able at least to report to those of you that knew some of that, that that she has done better, and we praise the Lord for that. And then when I think about my sons, and did I say sons? I probably need to fix that right now. (laughs) When I think about my son and my daughters, and I look at them back there tonight, the pace of the ministry, especially those first three years, took time away from my family. And the hurt and the consequences and the opportunity for the devil to be able to touch their hearts is something that is very real and that we're continuing to work to try to restore. And I want to say that I appreciate so much their sacrifice. Never complained about how often dad was gone or the things that I missed. And though I know that it had to be a great burden for them, I'm looking forward to being able to make new memories. And it even touched my own marriage, the love and understanding between my wife and I to where you question all kinds of different things because If the church is doing so well, why is our family doing so poorly? And if God sent us here, why are things so difficult in these different areas? And so we have definitely gone to counseling together and we're working to restore that love. And and, uh, it's begun to grow again and begin to live again. 
And I want to say publicly, she's not here. She wanted to be here. I know you're listening, Abby. I appreciate the sweet, godly wife that God gave me right here at Tabernacle 30, 30, almost 30 years ago that has stood beside me and has never questioned that. So that brings me then to a very difficult place. The difficult place that I'm in is that we want what's best for Tabernacle Baptist Church because I love Tabernacle Baptist Church. I, I love the people here. I, I love the singing here. I love the spirit here. I, I love the place that God sent us to. And this church needs a pastor and this church needs clear direction. But I also have a daughter that desperately needs her father. And I have children that I need to somehow be able to work and restore time that has been lost. And a wife that really deserves to have some time with her husband when so many other people have enjoyed that benefit. And so as of tonight, I'm going to end my time as pastor of Tabernacle Baptist Church. Now, I know that's a heavy word to hear. I promise you, it's much heavier to say. And what I want you to understand is I'm in no way leaving you. You can't leave somebody that's in your heart. But I am stepping down from this position. And I need you to understand that I have to step away from this position so that I can step toward my family. My family for 28 years have allowed me to pursue the Lord with all of my heart. And now I think that I need to repay that. And I need to pursue them with all of my heart. And I want you to know that this is not a decision that the deacons have pressured me into. In fact, our deacons, and I want to commend Owen Robertson and every other chairman before me, um, they, have, they have been a blessing to work with. They have been supportive they have done everything they could do to help us. We just need more time. But the church needs a pastor. And my family has not pressured me into do this. My wife has not asked me to step away from this church. She even asked again today. She said, do you really think this is right? And none of my children have said, Dad, why don't you stop the ministry? And I also want to know for those that would be listening that this is not a decision being made because of some hidden sin. And though we are far from perfect, there is nothing that has been swept underneath the rug. There is nothing that has been hidden from view. And I don't think a church should hide things from view. I think you ought to deal with them, and I think you ought to take care of those things. I'm glad we have a God in heaven. The Bible says that if we'll confess, he's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse. This is for my family. And... When I told Megan my intention of what I had to do today, she said, well, Dad, all I can say is that I'm really grateful that you would leave something you love so much that God gave you the ability to do for me. And it's not just for her. It's not her fault. And it's not your fault. Because I know the devil, he'd like to put into your mind, well, if you'd have done more and if, if things would have been done differently in hindsight. How many of you wish we could live in hindsight? Wouldn't that be a blessing? There's some cars you wouldn't have purchased. I promise you that. 
but we don't live in hindsight. Is there things that should have been done? Perhaps. More? Yes. On everyone's part, but I think that what we have to do is we have to determine what we're going to do going forward. And it's not your fault. We love you. These gray-headed people that are here at Tabernacle are a jewel and a blessing. And we appreciate all your goodness to us. You've been so kind to us, so good to us. And you're here in the college. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, God has developed and continued to develop a great place for you to be trained for ministry. And I would say this to you. I would say that you need to continue to take opportunity to allow the Lord to shape you here so you can do the job out there. Because the world doesn't need fewer preachers. The world needs more men carrying the gospel. Um, to struggle with where I am before you tonight has not been an easy thing because I want to continue to be there for you and do the job that I believe God sent me here to do. And God reminded me today, flying in from Chicago early this morning, great, beautiful sunset, sunrise, I should say, all the colors you could possibly imagine. And, and, and so much so that at the airport, people were taking pictures at, at the windows of this thing that God was doing. And when I said it to my wife, she reminded me in Lamentation chapter 3 that it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. That his faithfulness is great and his compassions fail not. And that there is hope. And I want to raise that level of confidence in you. And I want to tell you, God reminded me today. Joel, when I sent you there six years ago, I told you I would be sufficient for you. And he has. And he said, I, I sent you there to strengthen the things that remain. And I really felt like the Lord leaned over from heaven and said, The people you partnered with have helped you accomplish that job. And I began to think about David. David wanted desperately to build the temple. He loved the Lord. And God told him, listen, David, you can't build it, but I'm going to let somebody else do that for you. So David, instead of becoming angry about that, he left behind the pattern and he left behind resources and he left behind some key men to be able to carry the work forward for the next man. And, you know, we're, we're bad about saying this. We're bad about saying it was Solomon's temple. Solomon built the temple. You know, really, when you get right down to it, I hope you're listening intently to me. The temple never was meant to glorify David, and the temple was never meant to glorify Solomon. The temple was meant to glorify the God of heaven. And that's true of every pastor of this church. And I believe that God will send that next man that can carry this place to a place that perhaps I could not. And I think that God will do that because I believe that God has a plan for this church and he wants the light to continue to shine from 3931 White Horse Road around the world. So you need to have your level of confidence in his ability. You need to have your level of confidence raised in his consistency. And you need to have your level of confidence raised in a certainty that a better day is coming. Now for me and my family, 
I know that God will care for us. And probably temporarily, I'm going to relocate to Chicago to be there with my daughter and see how we can continue to work things going forward. But I will never forget the privilege and opportunity that God gave a prodigal son to not only get an education at Tabernacle and to be able to find his wife at Tabernacle and to be able to come to a close of his days of ministry at a place like Tabernacle. And I'm grateful for that. And so how to end that service, because I know it's very difficult again to hear. This has been live streamed. I want people to hear what I said. I don't think those of you that are on staff ought to consider your future based on my future. I think you ought to consider your future based on the church that God brought you to. And I'm telling you as a people, I think you ought to continue to the place that God brought you to. You say, well, I was saved under your ministry or I came here under your ministry. It's not my church. It's God's church. It's not my glory. It's the Lord's glory. And I want to commend you to do that. So the way I'd like to end, Ken, I don't know where you are. I'd like to call you that organ one more time. Judy, where are you? going to get on that piano. And what I'd like to do is I'd like for us to gather around this altar and first of all, be thankful. How many of you are thankful for what God has done at Tabernacle Baptist Church? I think we ought to be thankful. And then I think we ought to ask him, and God, help this new deacon board and these new men on the pulpit committee to be able to find that right man so we can continue forward. We love you dearly. Let's pray together. and then when we're finished.